Welcome back, everybody, to the Reconnected Podcast. We're here in Season 3, getting started with the fall of 2023. In Season 2, Alexis and I took a trip down the road with a few friends, colleagues, talked a bit about the journeys of excellence. And it was a really great experience for us to get to know uh, these wonderful people and share their stories about what the journey really is behind the scenes. And in Season 3, we're going to be focusing a lot on people taking care of themselves. You know, Alexis and I, our work essentially in, in different versions of it is helping people to take care of themselves and understand themselves. And and so we're going to go through different episodes around the topic of uh, essentially taking care of yourself. And today we're excited to talk about a, a topic that is extremely prevalent. It's, you know, something that you can't escape because as human beings, everybody's going to feel anxiety from time to time, if not often. And um, we're going to talk about the, the topic of anxiety. We're going to talk about what it is. Uh, we're going to talk about how it affects us and essentially what we can do to take care of ourselves around anxiety, both in a proactive way and also in kind of a responsive way when we do feel anxiety. So uh, really excited to get back into the podcast with Dulex. And uh, we just got a Great intro from our producer, Rob, giving us the Wayne's World countdown. <laughs> and we're back for season three. Really excited. So in the emotions episode from season one, we talked a lot about this idea of how these abstract concepts that really aren't tangible, but can oftentimes feel that way, can take over. And anxiety is one of them, right? Anxiety is something, like you said in the intro, is so prevalent especially in today's day and age. And we need to make sure that we talk about the fact that right now being exposed to so much media in our world, I think that there's a higher level and baseline for anxiety for so many people right now that we're experiencing this, this uncertainty in so many ways because I think we're exposed to so much. So before we get into the, what does this look like? How does it impact us? Let's really dive into your expertise, Jared, really talking about like, what is anxiety? How would you operationalize and describe that to somebody who's trying to understand what this is? We hear about it all the time, but what really is it? Yeah, well, we're, we're sentient beings. So we feel that essentially means that we feel right. And uh, because we feel there's going to be things that cause us pain, things that are uh, unpleasant to us. And as we talked about in the happiness episode of season two, you can't always be happy. And, um, but obviously, you know, we don't want to feel pain. People don't want to be experiencing something that's unpleasant. It's just inherent in us. It's just hardwired in us, right? For, for many reasons. And um, what pain is could be a lot of different things to different people. Pain could be social, right? We can experience physiological pain from feeling rejected from someone if we perceive that way or um, feeling shame, you know, around a group of people, right? So pain could be a lot of different things. It could be uh, physical pain, right? It could be uh, an injury, you know, you watch uh, athletes, in these uh, very high contact sports and you go, wow, geez, I guess they got to really tamper down their fear of the pain that they're going to experience because, you know, there's, there's definitely pain that goes there. So pain can ex be experienced in a lot of different ways. It could be emotional, physical, um, even psychological. And anxiety is essentially our response to expecting pain to happen. And it's essentially telling us, as if like an alarm system is going to go off, telling you that there's a fire, 
that's kind of the classic metaphor that your anxiety is kind of like an alarm system telling you that there's danger. But anxiety is essentially preparing us to protect ourselves, right? Because if there's pain, we want to protect ourselves from pain, whatever that pain might be. So anxiety in a lot of ways is, is a signal to trigger. It's telling us, hey, um, you know, watch out for something that could be bad, that could be unpleasant, that could be distressing to you. And, and I'll talk more about how that affects us because it does prepare us and, and that's how it affects our thoughts, our behaviors and so forth. We'll talk more about that. But on a fundamental level, you know, if you really want to understand what anxiety is, it's like there's something threatening and, and what's threatening to one person could be completely different than another person, right? Like I've worked with people who are terrified of just approaching someone to talk to them but they're more than willing to go skydiving <laughs> and then vice versa. Someone who is not afraid of public speaking, right? Maybe terrified of a spider, <laughs> you know, yeah, it yeah. goes both ways and you never know what someone's anxious about. And by the way, we don't see it. We don't see people's thoughts. There's no thought bubbles, you know, right. present like a cartoon when you're walking by someone. You have no idea what people are anxious about. I've even heard people say to me, like, you know, I remember um, like an adolescent telling me, you know, people a long time ago, she goes, you know, people think I'm rude and angry, but I'm just super anxious. Yeah. He would never know, you know, there's no thought bubble going on. Well, that's what I mean. It's this abstract thing. We can't like feel it. We can't always notice it because sometimes people have developed these coping mechanisms or they wear a different mask in different situations to put on, you know, a brave face as is the phrase, you know, put on a brave face if you're not feeling well and fake it till you make it. You know, we heard mm -hmm. this a lot from these really successful people who we interviewed in season two and thinking about, you know, sometimes you gotta, you gotta suck it up is the phrase, which I, I don't know if that's actually the case, right? I think we need to really understand what these emotions, what anxiety is telling us so that we can plan and prepare, you know, especially as our frontal lobes are coming online, you know, I'll bring it back to executive function. Once we start to be able to assess situations more accurately, maybe some of the stress and anxiety might dissipate a little bit because we we have a preview of what's to come. We can maybe think about what we can do to prepare for it. But, you know, I, I hear people all the time. In fact, just a friend of mine was saying to me earlier that, you know, how do we get rid of this anxiety? Hmm. It's actually taking over, you know, our worlds when, you know, my, my, my kid is having a hard time getting out the door in the morning because they just don't want to do something or it might be in... in an anxious response to something they're worried about or uncomfortable with. And I, you know, my response was, I don't think we ever want to get rid of anxiety. We just don't want it to take over our whole world mm -hmm. and consume us because that's when it can get in the way of us, you know, living a, a goal directed path, finding and experiencing joy, living presently in a moment to really experience everything that's coming up. I think when we try to avoid anxiety, I think we're often missing a lot of messages and a lot of really important learning that can come from understanding what it's trying to tell us. Yeah. Um, I'll, tell, I'll pull apart some of the pieces you, you pointed out. And as I talk through here too today, I'm going to try to bring different theories. You know, I think sometimes people talk about anxiety from one theoretical framework that, oh, this is the only way to look at anxiety. And I think there's multiple ways to look at anxiety. It's not always one, you know, one perspective. So I'll try to, you know, sprinkle this in as we go. Um, but certainly, as we talked about in the emotions episode of season one, being aware of what's contributing to your feelings and your emotions, is, in this case, anxiety is essentially, it's essential because when you don't know why you're feeling what you're feeling, 
and it's just taking over, it could become very intense. It's dysregulating. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's scary. It, it freaks people out. It's like, oh my God, what, what is, my heart is racing. Uh, I'm tense. My mind is disoriented. Uh, I can't focus. Um, I feel like something is, something horrible is about to happen, right? And you can't, you don't really think clearly in those moments. And so that's why I always say therapy is such a great way to slow things down and, and pick apart the pieces that are contributing to the anxiety so that you know you're not caught off guard all the time. It doesn't mean you're not going to feel anxiety. And part of the work is uh, doing something about what you learn about yourself. It's not just, it's insight and awareness is helpful. You learn about yourself and then doing something with it is the next step. Uh, but there's a lot of uh, ways to to understand why, right? And think about something right now, right? It's fall. Kids are getting back into school, right? And it's only natural to feel anxiety when you're starting something new again. Mm. And there's a reason for that. And part of therapy is helping people like just learn about why. Like, what well, what does that mean? Like, why 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 would you feel anxiety? Well, think about it. If something's new, you don't really know what to expect. Mm -hmm. and, and that's why we use the word adjustment. Adjustments take time. And so when you're trying something new, if you expect everything to just be uh, perfect, as we talked about in the perfection episode, or if you just kind of have a fantasy about how you think should be, things should be, or you're imagining you know, things playing out a certain way, um, and then you learn that, oh, that's not actually what's happening. Like adjustments are essentially like going out into the wilderness and being like, okay, what, what do I expect? I need experience mm. to learn about what to expect. Like what goes where, how do people respond? Like what are the expectations for me, for other people? What, what, what could happen? And then as you learn and adjust, you know, your anxiety could naturally come down over time if, if, you, if you manage it in a certain way. So adjustments are important and, and we're always adjusting though, right? We're adjusting in relationships. You meet someone new or something changes in your relationship or, you know, um, you know, something happens that catches you off guard and, you know, you have to figure something out. Like everything, you're trying something new. It's, it's all adjustments. And if you can reframe it that way, it takes out the sting and the, the, the fear of the fear, you know, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. you know, we always talk about being anxious about being anxious. And sometimes you have to normalize the parts that are valid about your anxiety so you can pick it apart and, and know that you, you need something to get through the adjustment. Let's figure out what you need. And sometimes it's just information, right? Like kids yeah. applying for college, they're terrified of making a decision. Well, you probably need more information. Uh, maybe you just don't know what to expect. You got to talk to people, get some perspective, uh, learn, you know, figure out what your questions are and get them answered. And on the other hand, some people may take that to the extreme and, and go overboard with planning and getting information. And we'll talk more about why they do that. But I'm starting to feel some anxiety myself because you just walked right into my world right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, but this, this anticipatory anxiety, I'm going to pull it back to where you were before thinking about, you know, the start of school, the beginning of fall, even the changing of the seasons, right? Mm -hmm. There's so much unpredictability that we're just not really sure exactly what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. We can refer back to, you know, last year or previous experiences we've had. But in development, it's so interesting because even when we think we have things figured out, there's always other changes that are going to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes within us, sometimes around us, mm -hmm. and we can't always predict it. So, you know, as as my clients like to joke, the little Alexicism mm -hmm. that I share is that we can't always predict, but we can prepare. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that's such an important piece. And I, I've had so many conversations, you know, all summer long, but especially now here in September and the fall, reminding parents and also students that we're still in this transitionary period, right? Things are still new. School's just ramping up. Athletics, sports, clubs, and activities are just starting to get into their rhythm with practices and schedules and things. And we're, we're not really in it yet, right? We're, we're just still adjusting. But this adjustment piece, I know you said we're constantly adjusting, but this is a big struggle for people, especially who have anxiety, but also those who don't have fully developed executive functions, mm-hmm. which you know we could say is pretty much most people 30 and under. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> developed, their frontal lobes are still developing as their brains are developing, but especially those who haven't explicitly had a lot of different experiences. Predictability is key and it's super helpful, especially for individuals who have mental health challenges or learning disabilities. But sometimes we also need to add in that novelty to practice so that we can figure out how we can adjust. And, you know, I do this all the time in my practice and my work with with individuals one-on-one or in groups that we need to develop this cognitive flexibility and and it's not always something that just comes online because mm-hmm. when we're when we're working from a place of stress and we're, our bodies and our minds and our beings are constantly stressed we're anticipating mm-hmm. that something might go wrong or we're anticipating like you said the anxiety we're worrying about the worry mm-hmm. you know that can trigger and shut down our executive function system even when we have fully developed skills mm-hmm. so thinking about those who are still developing it's so important to take a step back and really take a breath and say okay things aren't going exactly as planned Maybe our routines and systems aren't really in place yet. Mm -hmm. But is this something that we need to dedicate more worry and anxiety towards? Or do we need to take a step back and assess the situation to figure out how we can be in it and also get through it? Mm -hmm. For sure. And it's a a proactive uh, process to do that. And I always tell people I work with, you know, lean into being more proactive, Mm. you know, with your life. And, and, you know, that takes time to figure out how to do that. But if you're anticipating all these horrible things that could happen, and look, pe- some people have gone through very bad experiences. Mm-hmm. There's a reason people have anxiety and there's different reasons. Mm-hmm. Let me go through a few reasons. Sometimes yeah, people have gone through something very stressful, hurtful, traumatic, or um, just patterns in terms of how people treat them or how people react to them that essentially just leads them to take that memory and then use that memory to predict what will happen in the future. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's understandable. And part of that is relearning experiences and, and relearning how to navigate situations uh, to, to kind of uh, dispel some of those patterns and to, to kind of change some of those patterns. Uh, and to obviously avoid things that are going to be uh, un- hurtful to you and also learn how to not always predict that things are always going to be hurtful to you. Mm. So it's a learning and that's a very nuanced learning, right? You don't want to just say, oh, don't worry about it. Like that bad thing will never happen again. And well, sometimes you have to say, well, there, there's part of that anxiety that you have that you have to learn from it that maybe, you know, maybe do things a little bit differently next time. So, uh, or, or problem solve or figure out who can help you or, or stuff like that. That's the proactive piece. Um, and, and then also relearning and re- realizing that your mind could be biased based on your experiences and bias is important. Mm. 
I was just going to bring that up because you you mentioned that in a previous episode, thinking about you know why we focus so much on the negative experiences, the things that don't go well, mm. versus really appreciating and remembering and holding at the forefront of our mind the things that go well. Mm-hmm. And I think that bias piece is such an important piece to understand. And again, if our frontal lobes aren't fully developed yet, we might not accurately assess the situation. Mm-hmm in a way that helps us to learn from and grow from things that don't go well versus having that expectation that it's always going to happen in the same way every time because it has happened that way before. Right. It does take flexibility in your thinking, which essentially means you can think differently. You try to uh, reassess situations because we're always predicting. Like uh, As human beings, we're always thinking forward. We talked about this in in probably the happiness episode that your dog Rafa Hmm. is not thinking in the future. (laughs) He's always in the present. He's not like, you know, he's on the calendar. (laughs) He's like, what are you doing now? What are you doing now? Hey, Lexi, come on, let's go play now. now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So we're always planning and there's a reason for that. We're trying to make sure things are going to be okay in the future. And part of, you know, uh, therapy and from a cognitive behavioral standpoint uh, is to to think more critically about your your interpretations of not only what happened in the past, uh, what's happening in the present, but also what's happening in the future, mm. you know. And and so often, you know, people I work with and everybody does this, we're imagining things that never happen mm-hmm. all the time, mm-hmm. all the time. Imagining things people aren't thinking, imagining things that probably won't happen. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, and, and there is a protective factor in like assessing like what are all the possible outcomes from this? Yeah. But if you could give yourself enough space and time to say, okay, here are the possibilities. This is my agency in choosing the path forward mm-hmm. that feels most comfortable for me, that I feel like I have the skills and resources to be able to navigate. But but that takes time and practice too. Well, I mean, let, let's pick out the nuance here. So let, like when we're predicting things and we're imagining all these horrible things happening, some of it could be valid. Some yeah, of it could be yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, some people could be judgmental towards you. <laughs> some people could be mean. Some people could be like deceptive and hurtful and all that stuff. And it's like, yeah, well, th- that's true. Don't don't be naive in life. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're not telling people right. to just numb their anxiety and just become naive and just become reckless and disinhibited all the time. Um, but what we are saying is like, think more critically and, and because your reaction to situations happen so fast and therapy, like I said, you slow down and you're like, oh, I always ask like, what do you, what go through, what goes through your head in those moments? What are you focused on? And, and people start to put the pieces together because they don't do that. People don't do, we, we don't do that. Um, life is moving too fast to, to like, sometimes I'll even put on the whiteboard, like, let's, let's draw this out. Let's, mm-hmm. let's have all the all the pieces together so you can visualize it, you can see it, slow it down, and then begin to deconstruct it and say, well, you know, maybe this part doesn't make so much sense. And maybe maybe I need to not worry about that part so much. But this part, yeah, I probably do need to worry about. And, and at the end of the day, you know, it takes courage to go through life and we need people in our lives to help us to be courageous. You know, I was just going to say that that's my favorite part about my job, and I think it's probably one of the best parts about therapy too, is that you get an opportunity to slow down and have somebody objectively help you challenge some of the thoughts that tend to get in your way and give you that moment to like step back. And if they have a UDL, universally designed mind, to think about multiple means of representation to say, 
This is what this could look like. This is what it sounds like. This is what it might feel like. And helping an individual or yourself to be able to assess all of those different parts of the experience because it's never just one thing, right? And of course, like you said, we don't want to diminish the experience of anxiety because there are some things that could be very scary and we need to, you know, protect ourselves and be planful and, you know, have some inhibition to press pause Mm -hmm. and check ourselves, check our surroundings, check those around us. But, you know, being able to, to assess and evaluate how that process and how those experiences impact us in our day-to-day and in the long run is so important. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to go back and talk a little bit about this idea of expectation because I think that we're exposed to so much in media and in our day-to-day, especially if you live in a city or even if you're in a school, right, where, you know, there's a lot of uh, homogeneity, like there are a lot of people that look and act and talk the same that we think that the expectation might be to be like everybody else. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a huge source of anxiety. I I see this a lot in not only my younger clients, but, you know, in my young adults and the adults I work with, even with the parents that I work with, that sometimes their anxiety comes from what they think they're expected to be doing or what they think their kids are expected to be doing or, you know, what they have as their own expectations for themselves. A lot of you know, people in relationships and with families will say, you know, we had this fairy tale. You hear it a lot even in TV TV shows and movies. They talk about, we had this fairy tale of what our life was going to be like. Mm-hmm. And it didn't end up that way. Mm-hmm. And, and because that expectation doesn't get met or matched, they get consumed by the anxiety and the worry around, what did I do wrong? Mm-hmm. What do I need to be doing differently? Mm-hmm. What are other people thinking mm-hmm. about what's happening in my world Mm -hmm. when, you know, in reality, we know as adults or in our wisest minds Mm -hmm. that none of that really matters. (laughs) But in the moment or when we're comparing ourselves to these expectations, wherever they might be coming from, it could be incredibly anxiety provoking. Yeah, it's all consuming. Mm -hmm. That's why I wrote the song Keep Building, which is the chorus goes, life ain't always what we think it should be. So I'll keep building, right? So it's yeah. like we got that's that's a process that takes time. Well, I don't think we officially introduce you as a, a rock star as we keep joking. <laughs> Not about. a rock star. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny, but I, I I will mention, and because I think this is related to that, you know, we need to find things that help us, you know, distance ourselves from our own anxieties and and the worries of the world that we in our jobs and roles. As therapists, you, you as a clinical psychologist, me and as an educational therapist, we take on a lot of the anxiety and worry of the people we work with. Mm-hmm. So I, I will take this moment. I appreciate you sharing that lyric and also say that, you know, that's your outlet. Mm-hmm. And to be able to manage some of this anxiety, these expectations, I, I think one of the greatest things that we can do, and often it's free to do, is to go back to the things that bring us joy. Mm-hmm. Go back to our hobbies, go back to purposeful expressions of our emotions and of ourselves mm-hmm. to try to mediate some of that anxiety that might come up, balance it out somehow, yeah. some way. And and I appreciate that that's yours because I think not only does it help you, I think when people hear the lyrics that you write and the music you make, I think it does help to bring a sense of calm and, and uh, patience and purpose for others too. Oh, thank you, Lex. Um 
I appreciate that. And it's true. Like we need outlets and, and it's good. Like figure out your outlet and do it in a, in a, in a reasonable way. I think sometimes people are like, oh, I'm going to make this my outlet. And then um, it becomes like they start to neglect their responsibilities because they yeah. just take it too far. It's like, yeah. no, we're not saying that. It's like just figure out a way to integrate it so it makes sense for you in your life. It's all nuanced to a person. But I want to get back to what you said about expectations. There's mm, a reason please. people have expectations. And, and I think it's because expectations are containing. Uh, what I mean by that is I think expectations give us some sort of structure. It's almost like we'd rather know something than know nothing. Mm. And the expectation is knowing something, you know, mm-hmm. and life is not always so black and white. But, you know, as we go through life, we, you know, as you get older, you kind of try to simplify life as much as you can to contain it because life is so expansive and open, complicated, mm. Like, we don't know a lot of things. Like, Such a good point. People talk about the brain now. I'm like, well, like, we've been researching the brain for how long? Like, how much do we really know about the brain? It's the most complex <laughs> thing maybe, like, on Earth. Um, and so, you know, to 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 say something very, uh, I don't, maybe the word is dogmatically, that this has to be a certain way all the time, always, as we talk about in the perfectionist episode. And that is a kind of a way of coping with uncertainty, mm. you know. And so... So it's good for us to recognize that, that, you know, um, sometimes we can learn how to to work with our expectations by understanding how they function mm. and how they serve us. And, and we always got to understand like, well, why am I doing that? Mm. Like, what, how does this serve me? And, it, and, and so in therapy, um, you know, I don't, I'm not judgmental about why people do what they do. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, well, well, tell me about that. Like, I want to understand it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it, you must be doing it for a reason. Yeah. And then I'll get into like, you know, what's your motivations? What do you care about? What are you trying to accomplish with this thought or with this action or with this perspective? Where is it leading you? And then all of a sudden people start to say, oh, okay. Oh, there, there's more to this than yeah. just some random thought I have about like, oh. But that's really difficult to do. You know, my favorite question is what's the goal, right? What's the goal? And then what's your motivation behind like aiming for that goal? Mm-hmm. And and I think there's so much to it. And and sometimes it's scary for people to even unpack. I know you don't love that word, but to yeah. unpack and break apart and to understand. Well, because you may not even know what you actually want in the first place. You may think you want something, but you don't like... Um, you know, like I talk about this with, with dating, right? People will go on dates and they have this fantasy of what they want to be with, with some person. And I'll ask them, like, I'll, I'll say this to some of the guys, right? Cause you know, society guys are like, oh, you got to be with the supermodel and, mm-hmm. and everybody's going to be so like, oh, you're so cool with the supermodel. And like, I'm not judging supermodels. I'm just putting, making this as a point. It, it, regardless if, if maybe the supermodel is a really great person that you would really jive with for a lot of reasons, your personality, your values, your culture. But if you're only basing it on looks mm. and just being cool or people like, you know, thinking you're so like cool because yeah, you're dating a supermodel, um, is that what you really want? Because mm-hmm. as a society, I think guys are kind of grown into that type of mentality. And then I ask, well, would you rather be with someone like that, or we'd rather be with someone that you really just love to be with for, mm-hmm. for, for 5,000 reasons, Yeah, <laughs> you know, and you got to get into those reasons with that person. What do you really want? What are you really looking for? And then, you know, you start to get rid of some unnecessary anxiety. And this is the reason I talk about this stuff in relation to anxiety, because, you know, when those guys would go on dates and stuff, it's like, there's all this anxiety about, I got to impress them. I got to mm. get the hottest girl and stuff. I'm like, well, is that what you really want? Cause you're anxious about this. 
you don't need to be anxious about this if you really think critically about it. And so the anxiety just kind of can melt away when you shift your perspective and align yourself more with what you care about, which in a lot of ways is acceptance and commitment therapy, if you're into that, in terms of, you know, aligning with what you really care about and your values. Oh, you know I am. But this this cognitive and psychological flexibility is really tough to develop. And, and for a lot of people, it doesn't just come online. It needs to be intentionally developed to be able to to shift from this ex- expectation of what you think things need to be. And well, first of all, good plug, because we're going to have an episode later this season about relationships. Stay tuned. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, when you were talking about expectation being something that we know that we hold on to, it reminded me of, I had this image in my mind of this anchor. And in the mindfulness realm, we want things to help anchor us and ground us. And it was interesting as you were saying that, because I was thinking about how our expectations might actually anchor us, but they end up getting us stuck in patterns of behavior that don't actually serve us well, Mm. right? Because in, in acceptance and commitment therapy and ACT, when we think about, you know, some of these blockages, some of these uh, stuck points, I call them, that can get in our way, um, it's really important to hold on to a more flexible approach to thinking about things. Because if we're stuck on this is the expectation, this is how it's going to be, sometimes we just don't have the ability to move past that if that's all we're holding on to. And we talked about this in the perfectionism episode, and it makes sense that it's coming up here when we talk about anxiety because they're so related. But you know, sometimes we don't have the skill set. Sometimes we don't have the resources. Sometimes we don't have the bandwidth to even meet those expectations. Mm-hmm. But sometimes they are so prevalent in our minds as this is the way it has to be that we miss so much beauty around us when we get out of the present moment and we maintain being anchored to the expectation. Sure. And and you just survive life. Mm. And yeah, we're all trying to survive. That's part of being human in any species is like we got to survive. But we do have the ability to not just survive. And that's the proactivity. Yeah. Be proactive. Do things because you're doing them for intentions that are meaningful to you. Be nice to people because you want to be nice to people. So let me give you an example. So people with social anxiety, we had a whole episode about this, but this is a bit of an add-on to the social anxiety episode. A lot of times it comes down to how do you want to treat other people? And, and um, as much as people have social anxiety about, oh, I'm going to be judged for this. I'm going to be judged for that. Uh, I'm not going to be good enough. I'm not going to be cool enough. I'm not going to be this enough or that enough. Like there, it's, it's, a, it's a never-ending cycle, right? Mm-hmm. And so often, eventually, there's a long process to getting, there's different steps and different, it's not just this, but a lot of times it ends up moving towards, how do you want to be with people? Mm. How do you want to treat people? How you want to show up? Yeah, because you're always thinking about yourself when you're anxious because it's a protective thing, right? So people are socially anxious. They're just constantly thinking about themselves. And I had a girl recently said, wow, that kind of feels like kind of a, like I'm a little self-absorbed thinking about myself all the time. She's not doing it for that reason, but it's because she's so anxious about what's happening, but she's learning, you know, we all can learn, you know, get out of your head. And by the way, people want you to be comfortable with yourself. And that's a total mind shift. You know, people are like, oh, like they actually don't want you to be anxious. They want you to just be comfortable with yourself. They don't want you to try to impress them. Like if they do, then maybe that's not the person that you want to be around. Well, I, I dropped a comment about 
what I thought was one of the most attractive things in a former episode, but I think also that is the other piece to it. You know, you attract people, whether it's romantically or in friendships or collegially, when you are confident in yourself. And this isn't about like being the best or showcasing like the best of yourself. It's really just owning who you are Mm -hmm. and, and showing up in an authentic way. I know that word gets overused, but I think it's so important to appreciate because I think, again, when we go back to these comparisons and expectations, we're constantly thinking about others. Mm-hmm. And guess what those others are probably thinking about? Themselves. Or other people, <laughs> comparing themselves to other people. It like yeah. becomes this sick cycle. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I think it's so important. And I, you know, I have been having these conversations for a while now, and and you'll see eventually that I, I am building my own brand of of who I am and the work that I do to mm-hmm. be able to provide these services. And to for, communicate it, yeah. To communicate it and and to showcase it. And and honestly, the same purpose of the podcast is to get resources out to people who want to make changes in their lives. That's the purpose. That's the purpose, right? And, you know, part of it is also a a new chapter in my own life where I need to accept who I am and the work I've done to get to this place and to own it and to be confident sharing that with the world. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I've said a couple different times, and I think listeners and you'll appreciate this, is that there's so many brilliant people out there saying really important, amazing things. Yeah, for sure. Especially in the educational world, in the mental health world. And, you know, sometimes I question myself. I'm like, well, I know I'm helping in this realm. I know I have expertise in this. But there's so many other people who do too. Mm-hmm. But, you know, one of the things that I keep reminding myself and the amazing people around me keep reminding me is like, you know, there's only one you. Yeah. There's only one version of you and how you're showing up, your own experiences, your expertise, the way you authentically share yourself and your work with others, Mm -hmm. your personality, you know, all these pieces make you who you are. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, it's like love. It's like, if there's a lot of people are sharing love, there's no downside to that. Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of people sharing something that's positive, you know. It's, you know, people obviously can debate what's positive or not, but like if people are different voices sharing something that's positive, people have different versions of how to share love. It's a similar thing. Like you have a different version of sharing something positive. That's great. You know, it's just spread the love, you know, spread the love. And, and, you know, different people resonate with different versions, right? It's like music. Like some people like this music, but it's all music. (laughs) Yeah. And it comes back to acceptance because not everybody is going to like everything about everybody. Yeah. Right. Not, you know, same thing goes in my work. Not every person who comes asking for assistance in developing their executive function skills or to do the work that I do with them is going to jive with me. Yeah. Right. And I can't take that personally. It happens to everybody. It happens to everybody, you know, and it's, and it's important for parents to understand, for coaches to understand, educators, therapists, doctors, people, you know, looking for relationships and friendships that not everybody's going to, love everything about you. Not everybody's going to be the best match for you either. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Yeah. And that's okay to, to just accept and own. And this is where it comes back to this acceptance piece that I think is so important, not to get rid of anxiety, but to understand what the anxiety tells you. Mm-hmm. Because oftentimes when you get these signals of like, oh, this doesn't feel right, mm-hmm. or I'm a little worried about this, it might actually be really great information mm-hmm. to tell you like, hey, this is working. This isn't. And and so let me take that right there. This is working. This isn't. So 
part of working with anxiety also, in some ways this comes from internal family systems therapy, which kind of looks at uh, uh, kind of a holistic version of a person. It is to say the anxiety is telling you one thing, but anxiety narrows your focus on one thing. Mm. And it's like, oh, only this matters. And then you realize there's parts to a whole. Mm-hmm. And what you're focusing on is one part to a larger whole. And that's why when you pull back from anxiety and you have perspective or you think flexibly, as you're saying, you can say, oh, there's different parts. Like, okay, there's, there's something about this person that I don't really jive with, but there's other parts that I really respect. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to jive with that part. I'm going to let mm-hmm. them know I really respect this about you, even though there's another part that I'm like, ah, eh, you know, I just, maybe we're not going to be best friends, but I can still respect this part of you or I can work together with you in some way and, uh, and figure things out. And that, that also goes with life, not just relationships. You know, this one part of my life is not going so well. And some people can be devastated by that and extremely anxious because, oh, this one thing's going to ruin my whole life. And in reality, you pull back and you're like, well, there's different parts of my life. You know, there, there's this aspect, that aspect that is actually fine right now. And this other part has some growing pains mm-hmm. and that's normal. Mm-hmm. You know, all your parts are not going to be just like seamlessly rolling along through life every day, such as life. Life is like that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's so interesting. And, and you and I have a shared client, this, this young athlete who I'm working on executive function academic stuff and you're working more on sports psychology, understanding anxiety, performance anxiety and you know, we we were talking together. We had, this is the beauty in you and I collaborating. Sometimes mm-hmm. we were talking together to to frame the work we're all doing together. That's great. And I I framed it in a way that I was talking about. You know, kind of like when you go to a clinic to build your skills in the sport, where you're breaking down pieces of the process, mm. and you're talking more about the mechanics of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I shared with him, and and we talked together about how. You know, our work together is kind of like, let's focus in on the mechanics of it. Mm-hmm. What is this telling us? How does this work well for us? How does this not work well? What do we need to tweak? What do we need to improve? What maybe we want to keep? What maybe shows up in different contexts and in different ways? Because when you could break things down without overly obsessing about the mechanics right, right. and fully understand it, once you've practiced in this way, it becomes so integrated in who you are and how you show up and all these things we're talking about that allow for you to not let that anxiety get too noisy and interrupt or interfere with the things you're doing on your day-to-day. So, so let me give some um, advice to younger people who are anxious. Um, this is not going to apply to everybody, but I, I often hear kids um, talk when they're anxious and their parents will tell me, when they're anxious, they just don't want to talk about anything. They just get really upset and angry and all this, and I can't say anything to them. Mm. And so, um, so you know, parents in kids' lives, when they're anxious, you know, it, it could seem like the little things don't matter, but the little things can matter, right? Like if your kid is anxious about something and, you know, maybe what they need is just some time to go for a walk with you and get things off their chest. Mm-hmm. And just to have a space to let it out and maybe, you know, hold back from trying to fix it or correct it so quickly. Maybe what they need is just just get it out. And sometimes people can get perspective like, oh, yeah, maybe, you know, I might be overreacting. Now that I've said it out loud, Mm. that sounds a little ridiculous. Maybe I'm overreacting. Mm -hmm. Or maybe they begin to clarify what their problem actually is Mm -hmm. because they have a legitimate problem they're anxious about. 
and they need to talk it through. I can't tell you how many times in therapy it's like problem solving comes up because there's a problem that hasn't been clearly defined, a problem that hasn't been clearly uh, solved to any degree and people, person's confused or upset and just avoids it altogether. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as, as a parent, like pull back and just let the process happen. Uh, instead of thinking that it's a tragedy or that it's um, so terrible. Obviously, you know, some kids can be so dysregulated, you know, really is scary and upsetting and and all that. I don't want to discredit that, but figure out what the kid needs in those moments to work through their anxiety. And there could be steps to it. Just like we said, there's parts to a whole. There could be parts to helping the kid get through the anxiety. And knowing those steps can be very useful, even if it doesn't make their anxiety go away immediately. But those steps, you keep planting those seeds, you keep providing those opportunities. And over time, the kid can develop the capacity. Let's think about this. If you're asking a kid, oh, tell me more about that. I want to understand that a little bit more. And you're getting them to reflect. You're getting them to face their fears by talking about it. You know, talking about it is facing it in some ways. And and talk about their problems. You're actually teaching them how to reflect on themselves. Mm. And that is a great skill for kids to develop. And there's a lot of great, you know, psychologists writing books about this that, you know, actually providing the space to, to talk through things with your child and to reflect back what they're saying and say, oh, I understand. Let me validate what you're saying. Let me, let me, let me put this into words mm-hmm. and paraphrase or summarize or, or empathize with you. I understand. Okay, that makes sense why, why you feel this way based on what you're saying to me and based on what you're thinking. That doesn't mean you have to agree with it. It doesn't mean like, oh, yeah, of course, you know. The monster under your bed, um, of course, yeah, there is a monster in your bed. You should be afraid of that. <laughs> you know, to validate it and to acknowledge it doesn't yeah. mean that you're agreeing with it. It means that, oh, because you're thinking this way, that's why you feel this way. And here's all the reasons it's helping them to be reflective. And then, you know, a lot of good things can happen from that over time. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just jump in too because you said so many things and, and we're you're talking about it and referring to it as this is what parents can do for young kids mostly because they're still developing these skills and understanding themselves. Mm -hmm. But the same things you're saying for younger people, it it applies to adults too. Oh, totally. I don't want to just let it be lost on that moment and talking about it because I I say that self-regulation these days is like a superpower, Mm. right? It's not to get rid of emotion. It's to understand and to be able to bring it back to a place where we can regulate ourselves to think more clearly. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about executive function, we've talked about it a million times, and you'll hear this a lot more mm-hmm. just in talking to me about anything, that when we are dysregulated, we can't think clearly. And then we fall into this trap in the system that often can get stuck in the anxiety or anchored in the expectation instead of being able to understand what our options are mm-hmm. and to make a good decision and be critical thinkers. And the other thing that I think when we do talk about parenting and caregiving or anybody who, you know, has um, you know, any wisdom or age that they're trying to impart on somebody else, um, to remember that we don't always want to jump to problem solving mm-hmm. in people's lives. You know, and I catch myself all the time because my brain constantly goes to problem solving mode. It's just, it's a strength of mine. Because you care. Yeah. and And guess what? That's not always the solution or the answer. Mm -hmm. So I have to really consciously press pause and inhibit Mm -hmm. all of that to say, what is needed right now? Because like I said before, developmentally, what's needed in one instance in context or at one point in time might not work. It might not be what's useful in another moment. Mm -hmm. 
And we have to be so aware of that. And this is where the flexibility comes in, both psychologically and cognitively, to say what is actually needed in this moment. Mm-hmm. Because if we if we keep trying to problem solve, especially for young people, they're going to lose that ability to do it for themselves. Mm-hmm. And then they get wrapped up in, oh, what am I supposed to be doing? Mm-hmm. Which perseverates the anxiety even further and shuts down their executive systems where they can't think clearly to do that. And make good decisions. And it can make you afraid of, of a problem totally. or decision because you're like, oh, so other people do that for me. I don't do that for myself. Right, right. You know, it's, 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 And there's this over-reliance on other people yeah. to help them. Um, and a lot of reassurance seeking, even when they do make that decision like, right. oh, is this right? right? And did I do this right? Can you check it first? Mm-hmm. Which, you know, when we think of scaffolding, like supporting a little until the skill's been developed, mm-hmm. like that makes sense. You know, check in, make sure it's okay. Mm-hmm. That will hopefully help to dissipate mm-hmm. that anxiety around, am I doing this right? But, you know, we don't want to do that forever. We want people to have independence and agency around their thoughts and actions. Yeah. And we want to give them these opportunities to do it. Yeah. And 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 so, like, as a parent, you can think of your role a few ways, right? Sometimes, sometimes you got to take the lead mm. as parents. Like, sometimes you, you have to be the adult in the room and mm-hmm. say, well, this is what we're doing because, um, and there's a very good rationale for it. It's not just impulsive. It's not just like, you know, might makes right, um, as Ross Green says about the uh, explosive child book. You know, it's not just I'm going to do this because I have to overpower the child. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, because this is my perspective as an adult that makes the most sense um, based on life experience and based on just knowing a lot more and having a wider perspective, whatever that is. Sometimes you got to take charge as a parent. I mean, kids feel safe when, when parents do that sometimes, right? If a, yeah. if a parent's going to be pulled back and and, and not um, kind of confidently take charge in certain situations, that could be scary for the kid because mm-hmm. then the kid may feel like, oh, now I have to take charge. Mm-hmm. That's when you see, you know, what we call kind of parentified kids that feel like they have to do adult things that they don't really have to do. And that creates anxiety. And that, you know, sometimes it happens to a degree. And it's not all or nothing. Sometimes it can happen to a degree or not. Or their perception is that that's what they have to do. Yeah, right. Exactly. Even um, if it's not accurate. And look, and sometimes it may actually be important to do that for the kid. You right. know, who knows? There's certain special situations where the kid actually does have to, to maintain stability. And to stay safe. And to stay safe and so yeah. forth. Right. That's why we don't want to say that there's a one size fits all for everything. But there's also this role of a parent to create a, a safe and secure space for your kid. And I always say to parents, look, you guys love each other. That's great. Keep nurturing that. Mm. Keep giving space to have that love between you and your kid where you have that quality time where you get to uh, just bond, like truly a bond, not in some way where you're like, um, just like, you know, maybe watching a show does it for you. Maybe it doesn't. I'm not sure. It depends on the person. But we are really emotionally bonding with them and mm. you're giving space for them to open up even spontaneously where the kid's going to start talking about stuff because they want to. And kids are going to want to when they feel more of a connection. You know, mm-hmm. it's like your favorite teacher sometimes. You're like, oh, I just want to share things with them, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I, I'm going to jump in and say that one of the most important things to do in those moments is to be present. Yeah, pre- there, pre- exactly. There was a social media post that showed a, a father with his son doing different activities. Mm-hmm. And in one instance, he's on a phone. Mm-hmm. Like he'll like set up a situation and go play with a car or something or go play basketball. Mm-hmm. And the kid is playing. And in one instance, he's on his phone. Mm-hmm. And the interaction you could see, like they're they're together. Mm-hmm. Like they might think they're present because they are in the same space, 
around the same activity, mm -hmm. but the father's on the phone. And in the other video representation of the same exact thing, mm -hmm. the father's engaging, mm -hmm. having interactions mm -hmm. that have nothing to do with other technologies. Mm -hmm. And he's fully present with the child. And it's interesting when you see the behaviors that the child exhibits mm -hmm. in both of those situations. Right. It's like your dog, right? When when literally this happens <laughs> for the people listening, Alexis will be on her computer or on her phone for like a millisecond. And then her dog Rafa will just get his paw and just swat her hand away. <laughs> what is he doing? He's trying to get your attention. So true. And it's so true. It's so hilarious. But look, I mean... Parents are busy. Parents have their own issues and their own stuff. We, we're not criticizing parents. We're just no. saying, you know, parents also have to problem solve for themselves. Yeah. Figure out how you can structure your life, maybe slightly differently to have more of that bonding quality time. Even if it's like, you know, in a very small way, you know, after dinner, you guys do something special after dinner every time um, or, or something, you know, that you can uh, do something special every, you know, consistently and make it consistent, make a ritual or you know, be creative with it. And we're not saying it has to be an all or nothing kind of thing. I'm going to bring it back to that too. That's so important that you were talking about making consistent time to bond and share special times together. Mm -hmm. And I brought up the idea of not being with a phone because I think we all need some disconnection from technology. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not just about those special moments when you're bonding with a child or I don't a want to interrupt your thought, but I was thinking about this the other day. When, when you wake up, and the first thing you think of is like, oh, what am I missing on my, that's on my yeah. phone right now? What, what in the world is that doing to our brains when the very first thing it. we work up, wake up, when, when our cortisol levels are also high in the very beginning when we wake up, like literally the first thing we think of is like, oh, I wonder what I'm missing. Like, mm. and I don't really do that much because literally I'm on social media for the first time in my <laughs> life, except for a small uh, blip of Facebook when I was in college. Um, but I feel like I'm a walking experiment because I'm like, now I'm on social media. Um, but like, you know, I think we, we can all be aware of that. Like, we don't know what that's doing to us. It's changing our brains, that's for sure. But I think it's such a good point. And, and I work with a lot of families and the parents will say, you know, we have these expectations for what our child is supposed to do to take care of themselves, to do their homework, to put their things away to show up and contribute to the household and it doesn't always work and it's so interesting and fascinating that sometimes right so a lot of times the children or the the people are building skills to be able to execute those tasks and do it independently no doubt mm -hmm. but a lot of times there's sometimes interruption in them following through on their responsibilities mm -hmm. because they're trying to get attention from their mm -hmm. parents and caregivers mm -hmm. To, to get that interaction, even if it's... Everybody wants it. Everybody right? wants a genuine, positive connection with with anybody, right? Yeah. I mean... I crave it a lot of times. I notice that in myself. Well, everybody wants it, but when you don't even realize that you're not getting it, that's a problem, isn't it? Yeah. Too? Like we're on... If you're using technology that you don't feel like you're truly bonding with people, if you don't even realize that what you need, you're not getting what you need, that's also a problem societally. Totally. And so... You know, we got to think critically. That's why, you know, as we always say, therapy, pull back. Yeah. <laughs> what do I need? You always ask that, what do you need? Mm -hmm. And let's figure out a way to get what you need. Sometimes yeah. kids just need to have fun sometimes because <laughs> some of these kids we work with are just constantly doing something. They work more than adults do sometimes. They have school. I think about that all the time. School from like early in the morning. Yeah. Till, and the school's over. Then they have sports. Then they have music. Then they have 
they got to like fastly eat dinner. Then they have like three hours of homework yeah. every single night. Uh, and look, that some some kids is going to take longer because not everybody's the same. Some totally. kids it takes longer than other kids. You can't blame them for that. And then uh, at the end of the night, they're on their phones all night because they have what's called revenge procrastination because they <laughs> want to do fun stuff. And they do it on their phone at like 3 a.m. because they didn't have any time to do anything fun yeah. when they were during the day. And so, you know, I don't know what the solution to that is, but like be creative to figure out what the kid needs. Maybe you got to, you know, insert some quality time. Maybe you got to help the kid to... Um, you know, find some strategies to make their schoolwork more efficient so that you can take less time to get help they need, uh, to ask for help and so forth. or And just insert quality time. Like you can get quality time throughout the day. Yeah. It doesn't have to be like a structured thing. It could be like, you know, in the hallway for the kid or it could be during lunchtime. It could be, we're going to go for a drive. We're going to get a burger or something like just insert little experiences. Yeah. I mean, without without it being artificial or overly planned or over the top. And, you know, this is my PSA to the world. We all need this, whether you have children or not. I think we all need to be able to take time in our days to find joy and connection in some way. Yeah, you got to be present to do that and open. Absolutely. We're all, for the listeners, this is hard. All of it. (laughs) We're not suggesting this is easy. No. (laughs) It's hard. Um, but I do want to validate. Can I go but, back? But first? it's worth it. Things it's, that are harder worth it sometimes. I totally agree. And I, I want to go back and just validate, especially for the people we work with and for students out there who might be listening, that I think about this all the time. And I have very long days, you know this. But I put it in perspective. And I think about my students who maybe have to take three buses to get to school in the morning Mm -hmm. or they're going to practice their sport or their activity or they show up for me at 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. before they go to school to meet with me before they start their day, Mm -hmm. you know, and then they're going through their day. Sometimes they have after school where they're supposed to be doing their homework, but really all they want to do is have fun and let loose Mm -hmm. or they have sports or activities and then they come home and they have chores and responsibilities and, and then they have more homework and things to do at night before they end their, their day. Their days are so long and so packed. And I think it's sometimes a necessity because parents' lives are often busy as they're trying to provide and support. Mm-hmm. And I totally get it. But it, my point in validating this and, and shining a light on it again is that I think we all need to give ourselves, number one, a little credit for how hard we're all working, even when it doesn't always go as planned. Mm-hmm. And number two, to give ourselves permission just to exhale and mm-hmm. to breathe. Mm-hmm. This is what I like about meditation so much is because it's the meditation in concerts for me. I might have said this before. It's the two experiences where my brain totally shuts off and I can completely be in the moment without trying. Right? Nice. It's just the intention and the goal is literally to be present and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And we all need to find something in our worlds and in our lives to be able to do that. Even if it's just going for a quick walk, looking up at the sky, noticing the clouds, mm-hmm. taking in the sunshine if you have it available to you, mm-hmm. making a connection, sometimes just giving a hug. Yeah. So I'm going to bring it back to what you said previously too, that sometimes parents need to be in the role to say, we need to stop. Mm-hmm. And I've been so proud of so many families I work with mm especially these past few weeks, I've been hearing it from a lot of people where they're like, my child's coming home, is super anxious, doesn't know how to get started on their work or just has no more energy to give their work. Mm -hmm. Where I just said, we need to stop 
And what they do is sometimes they need to suggest what needs to happen. But ideally, outside of that really anxious moment, we all should be coming up with a list of tools and strategies that help us. Mm -hmm. I mentioned before hobbies that bring us joy, but maybe it's something as simple as I need to take a cold shower Mm -hmm. or a warm bath, or I need to snuggle with my pet. I need to go for a walk. I want to go look at the stars. Mm -hmm. You know, we need to come up with our list of things that nurture us. Because we're, we're just gravitating towards technology to turn our brains off. Yes. But it's actually overstimulation. It doesn't give us the opportunity mm-hmm. to calm ourselves, mm-hmm. to, to regulate ourselves, to decide what comes next. And, and as adults in, in young people's lives or partners mm-hmm. in each other's lives or family members or friends, mm-hmm. sometimes we just have to say, we got to stop. Yeah. And we need to take a step back, even if it's for a few minutes. It's hard to stop, right? I mean, yeah. like, if you ask anybody when they're doing so much, like, what do you wish you can do? I wish I can stop, but I yeah. can't. Isn't that so ironic? <laughs> like, literally, stopping <gasps> is not doing something. Mm. And people have a hard time not doing something. And there's a reason for that. Well, I think, I think it's also because people think it means we're not being productive or we're not making forward progress or we're not keeping up. Again, going back to this comparison moment. But, but really that we need to interrupt the system that's keeping us stressed and anxious. Otherwise, we can't move forward or we can't move forward well. I've been saying this so much to my clients, Jar, that um, you know, you're going to get this stuff done. You really care. Your values are that you care about doing well yeah. and you're going to do it. Yeah. But at what expense? I don't want you to do it without feeling the joy mm-hmm. and the satisfaction of doing it and in a less stressful way. I think I think as a society we are grappling with this and we don't know how to do this in a nuanced way. How to say you got to work hard. Like right? mm. the, the old school values there's there's nothing like we we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater and say right. like hard work is bad right. and then everybody like just stop working. I'm not sure that's healthy for <laughs> uh, people, you know. We're kind of going through that a little bit now. Well, let me let me finish this though because yeah. I think it's important. At the same time, other people are arguing that it's too much. Like the way society is, the way these structures are built is like you have to maximize everything all the time, all the time, all the time. And like there's pros and cons to everything in life. I think that's a philosophy. I try to see how it applies. And maybe both things could be true and integrated. And it's hard to figure out how to do that. Like, Mm -hmm. Like I said before, we all want certainty. We all want to say it's always this or it's always that. So when people talk about these topics, sometimes it's like it's only this and it's only that when the truth may be in the middle somewhere. Mm. And so how do we do that is hard because that's a complex problem to solve and to integrate into different systems uh, so that we can work hard but also take care of ourselves at the same time because both things could be equally important. And so so let me, uh, we got, I think we're going to wrap up with the timing here, but I just want to make one more larger point. So, so in regards to this, let me, let me make this kind of one more uh, bigger picture point is uh, stress is not anxiety. Some would, some, would, some would suggest they're different things. Stress is sort of like I have a demand and I have to meet that demand. And therefore you're stressed, right? You need stress to do something. Stress Sometimes it's a motivator. It it activates your body. It activates your mind so that you can actually do something. Uh, Anxiety is not necessarily stress. It's I'm afraid of something bad happening. Great point. 
right? I can go to this piano over here, this nice looking piano and just start playing. Uh, and I can have some stress that activates me to like figure out what I want to do. But if I can have anxiety that, oh, like I might play the wrong note and everyone's going to think I'm horrible at playing the piano. That's anxiety. That's fear. That's fear of something bad happening. Those are different things. But I think what happens in society, as we're talking about before, how life is just could be so too stressful. Stress can bleed into anxiety because when we're vulnerable, our mind is more likely to err on the side of thinking extreme thoughts. Mm. And, and so as an example, right, if you're just constantly stressed and people got stressed, you can't blame people for having stress. Like they got health problems, money problems, they got relationship problems. Like a lot of how, things to be stressed how about. How many problems can, there, can we get through in life? Like that's why I said in the beginning, if you're not anxious, you're not human, mm-hmm. right? So, but when we have so much stress, um, you know, we're more likely to, to treat those things that we're trying to approach and deal with with anxiety because the fear starts to bleed in. It's not like, oh, I got to take, I got to approach this person or I got to go do this task. It's like, oh God, like what's going to happen now? Mm-hmm. Because your your resources are depleted. You lose confidence. Mm-hmm. You lose trust. Mm-hmm. You, you, you're disoriented. You're not thinking clearly. And so, you know, that's why people talk a lot about stress management and that's not like an all or nothing thing either. It's like just figure out ways to calm yourself down, to think more clearly, to create space uh, to to not have, to not be too vulnerable all the time. It, and it could be sleep. It could be mm. nutrition. Right? Mm-hmm. These things are spirals. That's why in therapy, it's like, what are these cycles? Okay. You're too stressed. So you're not sleeping. You're not sleeping. So then you're more stressed. And if you're more stressed, you're more anxious. Mm-hmm. Like these things all feed into each other. That's why it's not like, there's no silver bullet to helping someone, you know, in therapy. Uh, sometimes things can be complex. So you got to figure out what can you control and what can can you not control, but control the controllables is, is a big part of, of part of life and therapy for sure. And, and that's why in my work too, I talk a lot about that cycle that you just referred to because when that is so prevalent and it's taking over, it can directly impact the way in which our executive functions come online to allow for us to work towards goals. Mm-hmm. And it makes it really tricky and it makes it, again, tricky to think clearly, to think critically, to be strategic. There's so many things that can be impacted by this. And, you know, sometimes it does come down to, are we taking care of our bodies and our nervous systems? Because when we are constantly in a place of stress, mm-hmm. it can lead to so much more. So we, I, I appreciate that people are starting to pay more attention to their nervous system. And one way that I like to try to do this is I just notice like tension in my body, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes I'm like, so busy and so intense and so focused on the thing that I notice my shoulders are crunched up mm-hmm. and my my muscles are kind of tight and yeah. you know maybe that's exercise without exercising but <laughs> I, I it actually it impacts the way in which I feel when I'm doing something so I'm constantly checking in with myself even just doing a quick body scan mm-hmm. in the middle of the day in between sessions when I stand up to stretch, yeah. like sometimes those little moments Feels good. just brings you back to where you need to be mm-hmm. to to just give you a little more clarity yeah. and, and a little bit more presence, which I think is so important. And it's just these little tweaks sometimes. You know, sometimes we feel like there's too much going on. I'm too stressed. I can't control all these things, mm-hmm. which turns into anxiety. And I wanted to refer to this and have you talk a little bit about how oftentimes anxiety is a product of trying to over control. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, we talked about these comparisons and expectations. I think that creates a lot of anxiety, Mm. fear of unknown or fear of things that have happened in a negative or harmful way in the past. That all creates anxiety, but Mm. sometimes a function of feeling so out of control that we need to control Mm -hmm. is a function of anxiety too. I wonder if you can speak to that as well. Totally. Yeah. You know, uh, control the things you can accept the things you can't is Mm. timeless wisdom. Um, If you, I like what you said, you know, the body scan kind of calming your nervous system down from moment to moment when you get a chance to and grounding yourself is great. I would also suggest um, from a different angle, because you always want to try to look at things from as many angles as you can to, 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 to treat a complex problem. Especially because not everybody's going to respond in the same way to the same thing. For sure. So my suggestion is if you have stress in your life, number one, you're human, you're going to have stress. Some people have more stress than others. Um, take the anxiety out of the stress. Mm. And maybe your life will be a little bit better. And, may, and, and the way to do that is... Can you describe that a little more? Yep. So, so you know, you got stressed because you have a deadline to meet. You have stress because you have um, something you got to do, right? And, and, and maybe there's legitimate reasons you have anxiety about it. Like, you know, you could get fired, you know, mm-hmm. if you don't do something. That's, that's, first of all, you should have anxiety about that to some degree. Yeah. Because that anxiety is going to remind you. Anxiety can keep us in check sometimes. Yeah. It's like, well, don't do that. You know, that'll get, in, you know, that'll get in trouble or, you know, that's, that's going to, you know, make your life worse. Gives us some limits in the decisions we make. And it, it does help us keep us on track again, right. as long as it doesn't overwhelm us. Right. Exactly. And that, that's the nuance. And that's what therapy is like. How can you dial down the anxiety? And, and so, um, and, and also understand the, the thoughts and the beliefs and the perspectives that contribute to unnecessary anxiety. Mm, that's key. Unnecessary. So like, you know, if you're going to do this, this catastrophic outcome is going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, uh, you know, if you do something embarrassing in front of someone or if you don't know how to get started on a, on a test or if you don't know how to get started on a paper or if um, you're confused about something, right? Take, take the catastrophic, unnecessary anxiety out of that to change your thoughts and beliefs about it to say like, well, Okay, I think I'm, I'm my my anxiety is what we call disproportionate mm. to the actual reality of the situation. Mm-hmm. It's disproportionate, and that takes time to figure out. And sometimes we just gotta talk through with people. <laughs> like talking is so helpful. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, maybe maybe I'm overreacting a little bit to this. Um, I just need to talk through. And, that, and I hear this all the time. My patients like, oh, now that I said it out loud, okay, I didn't think about that until I said it out loud. Yeah, that's so important too. And, and when we talked about other people hearing about people's fears and anxieties, sometimes our perception might be different than theirs. Mm -hmm. So if you were to say like, hey, Lex, I am super anxious about doing this podcast. And I'd be like, Jer, what are you talking about? You've done tons of talks. You you have all the skills. You're ready to do this. Mm -hmm. You know, and if I were to invalidate your anxiety, you might be like, you might actually get more anxious. Yeah, yeah. So there's a there's a way to challenge it that I think is very nuanced and important. And this is why I always say like get curious. It's my favorite strategy. It's like if somebody presents in a way that maybe doesn't make sense to the situation, especially based on their skills and their abilities, Mm -hmm. you can, you can challenge it in a really delicate way by just asking a good question. Yeah. And so my questions are, what are you concerned about? Mm -hmm. What is, what are you specifically concerned will happen? Yeah. What are you specifically imagining? And there are, let me also say this, there are times too when 
people want to talk about it, but the talking is actually avoidance. So this is a bit of a nuance about therapy, right? (laughs) Sometimes it's like, you kind of figure out, oh, okay, I think this person is avoiding confronting someone by talking about it constantly. Yeah. And, and you you know, you don't know until you figure that out or you kind of collaborate with the person to help them to gain insight. If that's the case, and it could be the case a little bit, sometimes people have to confront things with bravery and talking about it is actually avoidance. And so, you know, I'm not going to go into great detail about that, but, you know, there's a nuance to it. Sure. The other thing too is sometimes um, people will live in a highly anxious state or dysregulatory state to avoid the thing that they're most anxious about too. I see this all the time. What you said before about control, right? Yeah. If you're trying to control everything yeah. and plan everything and make everything expected, that's also could be a form of avoidance. Yeah. Because you, you know, life doesn't work that way. And if you're trying too hard to control things, that's going to actually create anxiety because you feel like, well, if I don't control that, then this the catastrophe is going to happen. And you got to learn to confront the thing that you're afraid of. And that's what exposure therapy is. And there's a lot of really great aspects of exposure therapy. You know, it's not for everybody and it's not for every situation. And sometimes there's reasons that people are anxious that go beyond just facing something. You got to kind of resolve things from the past or, or, or deal with deeper things that people are grappling with that, you know, they, they do. And But there's also sometimes when people have to, to, to gain confidence that they can confront something, even if it's uncomfortable, even if things don't work out great, and that they can cope through it and persist and they gain wisdom from it, they gain confidence. Yeah. Um, and we all need to feel like people are supporting our confidence and our bravery sometimes. Yeah. And I want to just mention this, for especially for caregivers and coaches and, and teachers, that sometimes when um, people are feeling very anxious, there might be a a behavior that seems unrelated to the thing that they're most anxious about. Mm, good point. Right. So for example, mm-hmm. I have a student who will like often start giggling mm-hmm. uncontrollably or acting pretty immature or silly in a moment at the exact moment where they are trying to avoid something that feels too challenging for them. Totally. Right. And I see this all the time or for young children who can't express what they're experiencing or they might have a tantrum in a moment. Right, 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 right. Right? And you're like, well, this is something we've done all the time. You knew what to expect. Why are you behaving this way? Mm -hmm. It might be their own anxiety coming up and coming out in a way that they can't express and communicate effectively. So a lot of times too, we want to be mindful that these big behaviors, whether you're an adult having an adult tantrum screaming and yelling because you're trying to get your point across about something you're afraid of mm-hmm. or a young child doing something similarly that seems unrelated. A lot of times, not all the time, but a lot of times it might be coming from and stemming from an inner anxiety where things like exposure therapy could be very helpful. Yeah, And also, you know, calming it down, saying we need to take a break. We're not going to be able to figure this out right here and right now in this mm-hmm. moment mm-hmm. with all these big emotions. Yeah. Feel what you're feeling. Let's figure out how to bring you back to a moment where we can think more clearly mm-hmm. and then we'll see what happens next. Mm-hmm, definitely. And, the, you know, there's other aspects too. You know, what is, there could be behavioral aspects. You know, what is the person getting out of yeah. the, the tantrum? Maybe, you know, that's a way to control things too. Sometimes. Totally. And you got to try to, there's nuances to this. I don't want to say there's, this is always the case. And I don't, you know, obviously I don't know the listeners. To, so don't, don't say, oh, this definitely applies to my child. Um, you got to work with therapists to figure this out. You know, you, yeah. is it more of an emotional thing that they have to learn about their emotions, express them, or is it more 
there's something behind the scenes that they're kind of getting um, reinforced reinforcement for and so forth, right? You know, yeah. like, um, but, you know, so both things could be important, helping the kid to express their emotions accurately. Uh, I was just in class and I was teaching my the, the grad students who are going to be ther- therapists. Um, you know, they're like, well, what if, you know, what if a kid, we, we were role playing. I was like, I'm going to be the kid. You're going to interview me and the parent. And, uh, and the kid and one of my students said, okay, little Johnny, you know, like, tell me how you feel. Like, tell me what emotion you're feeling when this happens. Mm. And I was like a, I don't know, 10 year old or something. And I responded to my student said, what are emotions? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, to make a joke out of it, but also yeah. be the real to really hone in the point. And they're like, yeah. well, what do you do if they don't know? And, and I'm like, well, this is your point, Lex, is sometimes people need to understand what's happening internally and to make sense of it so that they can work through it. Yeah, and that's why, you know, a lot of the social emotional learning programs are so helpful. And I would say they're not just helpful for young children. They're also helpful for teachers, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? We can't just teach the stuff. We need to really practice it ourselves as adult in the lives of children and other people around us. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's so important to be able to develop the language. Again, break it down to the mechanics. What is happening? How do I practice what's helpful in the moments when this happens? so that things get more seamlessly integrated into how we navigate through life. Mm-hmm. And we can't talk about anxiety without my favorite reference to anxiety because you and I both grew up on the water and the beaches of New Jersey. I'll give them credit. And when we think about anxiety, we can think about the metaphor of the wave. And I mm-hmm. wonder, Jar, if you can talk about it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, when when we get anxious, um, it could peak. It can, you know, we use a zero to ten scale, ten being the highest. You can feel like a, a nine out of a ten, where it's like, oh my god, like my anxiety is so high. And as you said in the emotions episode in season one, it could feel like your feelings are going to be there forever. Mm. And so the idea of kind of riding out the wave is essentially suggesting, give it some time. Like, how many times have you done something new? And you're like, oh, this is the worst thing ever. And over time, you're like, oh, this isn't so bad. Okay, I'm getting the hang of it. This is the adjustment we're talking mm-hmm, about. Mm-hmm. Or how many times have you met someone? You're like, oh, I don't like that person. But like over time, you're like, oh, I kind of like them. I just needed to like break the ice with them. Maybe they were anxious around me. I was anxious around them. And like we just needed to get comfortable with each other to, to you know, to just get it, uh, get things moving. Um, yeah. Sometimes we need to break down our initial bias and and take a broader look right, at right. a situation or a person or a new topic or whatever it is. Right. And so the idea is like, try not to make things um, more worse than it needs to be if, in a certain anxiety situations. Sometimes your anxiety could actually be like, yeah, like this is bad. You got to get out. Like if your anxiety peaks and there truly is something that's just like something's wrong. And it, it may not be in that moment. It may not be like a lion is about to attack you or a car is going to hit you. It could be like, there's something like a real deep problem in this situation. Like maybe the kid really is being bullied really bad and like there is absolutely no solution. And that anxiety is actually useful because as long as you use it appropriately and say, okay, I got to talk to people and really figure this out. My anxiety is telling me that this is a problem that has not been solved and that anxiety is useful. Mm -hmm. But sometimes the anxiety is peaking uh, and then people can make it worse by ruminating over it, catastrophizing. Oh my God, I'm anxious. if I'm anxious, that must mean things are going to happen. Why else would I be anxious? It must mean things are going to be horrible or horrible things are going to happen when in reality, you're just anxious. And once you get moving, the anxiety is going to go down. You're going to realize things are generally okay. And so the way we respond to feeling anxiety, 
is important. Okay, this is why I'm feeling it. I understand it. This is what triggered it. I had a thought that popped in my head or I noticed something that triggered it. And then by understanding it, it's like, oh, okay, I get it. I've seen this movie before. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just more like at ease because you're like, oh, a little bit more at ease. You're like, oh, I, I know how this works. Mm-hmm. I know why I'm anxious. Mm-hmm. It's okay. It's going to come down a little bit. Just mm-hmm. give myself some time. Maybe go to the bathroom and, you know, splash some water in your face and, and get back in there, you know, and, and realize, okay, I got this. I can do it. It'll be okay. But we got to learn about ourselves by going through life and being brave and realizing don't make it worse. You know, mm-hmm. and again, like there are some times when it is actually worse and you got to figure that out and, and deal with something deeper. Um, but but sometimes when we're anxious about things that are uh, unnecessarily anxious about, uh, just ride that wave out and realize I don't need to think more about this. I just have to accept I'm, a little, I'm anxious and it's going to come up. It's going to come down. Don't overthink it. Yeah. <laughs> now, the overthinking is I hear it all the time and people always tell me like, you know, I really got to stop overthinking that. Yeah, yeah. And when you stop, you like, you start living, you start being present and things can flow a bit better. And that, that takes time to, to develop. It's like the tides, you know, there's going to be high tides and low tides. There's going to be somewhere in between. And we could predict that that's going to happen, right? If we can accept and understand that there's going to be ups and downs, highs and lows, then hopefully it brings us to a place where we could be more planful of how to navigate it. Right. And and oftentimes, and when we were younger, I remember sometimes the biggest waves mm-hmm. were the most scary, but the most fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they they are the most impressionable sometimes mm-hmm. when we're able to ride the wave and really enjoy that ride. So I, I love this metaphor and the symbol of a wave to help remind us that if we are overthinking, if we fall into a thinking trap or something else gets stuck and anchors us in these like loops of what we think needs to happen or mm-hmm. should happen or mm-hmm. should be in a certain way, then we're going to get all consumed by the water mm-hmm. and we're going to miss the beauty of that ride. Totally. Another quick metaphor would be looking at the weather from outer space. <laughs> oh, the weather's coming and it's going to go. You don't realize it unless yeah. you're up there looking down. Yeah. Big, have a bigger perspective. I always tell uh, people I would be like a veteran veteran on a sports team. The veteran's like, all right, guys, we it's okay. I understand why you're overreacting, but yeah. this is how this works. Let's just calm down and figure this out. We're going to figure it out. Yeah. Maybe we'll figure it out later. And like, you know, you don't have to solve problems immediately. But like, oh, we'll, we'll deal with this later. Sometimes we need to just be in it. We got to sit in it. We have to understand what it's telling us and to let it pass. There you go. But if you can't let it pass, reach out for support. Ask people to help guide you and to be a part of the moment because these are beautiful moments that we are privileged to be a part of. Good and bad, big and small, anxious and calm, all of it Mm -hmm. is information that helps us to become that person that hopefully we can all show up being and feeling good about being our truest, most authentic selves because it's all a part of our process as we're human. So I have a feeling, and if anybody has any ideas, we'll do another episode on anxiety where we can share some more specific examples. Mm -hmm. We shared a range of different examples of how it might show up in different circumstances and situations. But as we said, you know, not everybody's going to have the same experience. Not everybody's going to react and respond the same way to the same interventions. But what we do know is that we need to be empathetic to the fact that anxiety is prevalent. And it shows up in different ways for different people in different contexts. And that sometimes when we get curious 
And when we give space and time, we can hopefully ride the wave to get to the other side. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're excited to be on this journey with you for season three and lots more to come. Thanks, Chair. Happy to be here, Lexi. Thanks for tuning in to the Read Connected podcast. Please remember that this is a podcast intended to educate and share ideas, but it is not a substitute for professional care that may be beneficial to you at different points of your life. If you are in need of support, please contact your primary care physician, local hospital, educational institution, or support staff at your place of employment to seek out referrals for what may be most helpful for you. Ideas shared here have been shaped by many years of training, incredible mentors, research, theory, evidence-based practices, and our work with individuals over the years, but it's not intended to represent opinions of those we work with or who we are affiliated with. The Reconnected podcast is hosted by siblings Alexis Reed and Dr. Gerald Reed. Original music is written and recorded by Gerald Reed. Editing and recording was done by Cybersound Studios. If you want to follow along on this journey with us, the Reconnected podcast will be releasing new episodes every two weeks each season. So please subscribe for updates and notifications. Feel free to also follow us on Instagram at Read Connected Podcast. That's Read Connect Ed Podcast and Twitter at Read Connect Ed. We are grateful for you joining us and look forward to future episodes. In the meanwhile, be curious, be open, and be well. Mm-hmm.